Hello and welcome to the Stoked on Spokes Podcast. 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 Wait, like SOS? Well, it's about fight. Ride, gear, races, community, and so much more. My name is Curtis White. My name is Magalie Rochette. My name is Stephen Hyde. I'm Caroline Menus. I'm Gage Heck. I am Anna McGeeley. This is the Stoked on Spokes podcast. Let's get rolling. Hello, and welcome to the 61st episode of the Stoked on Spokes podcast. I'm joined by Mr. Philip Beal and Matt Tanner. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Doing great. Can you guys give me a brief introduction and talk also talk about your bicycle background? Go ahead, Phil. As for me, my name is Philip Beal. I feel like I grew up just an average Midwest kid, lived in a small town, and bicycles were my main mode of transportation. Went, you know, all throughout the county and a lot of places my parents did not think I was going or probably preferred I didn't go. But on a BMX style bike, I would probably put in 40, 50 miles a day on a weekend, just, you know, traveling to friends' houses. And we just, run around as an adult you know or even as a kid got older got a what we called a 10 speed back then road bike rode it just enjoyed riding a bike i I guess it wasn't for exercise or for anything other than just going out and meeting up with people and just going and seeing things and then as an adult it's not that i didn't like cycling i just did not do it very much there was many years where I wouldn't touch a bicycle. And then around 2012, I decided I was going to ride a century ride because that's what you do when you've not ridden in a long time. And I was doing it to raise money for a uh, mission trip for some teenage kids. And so I decided to ride from the middle of Indiana to Cincinnati, Ohio. What better bike to do that on than an old 1980s Peugeot mountain bike, complete with rack systems and I didn't realize how much weight was on that bike until I completed the 100-mile ride. I, my, my finish line was at a bicycle shop in downtown Cincinnati, and they weighed the bike. It was 47 pounds. They were not recommending that you do a century ride on a 47-pound bike, but it was all I knew to do, and it did the job of raising thousands of dollars for uh, these kids. And then from there thought I would continue to ride, but once again, years went by without me riding much. And then 2018, I hopped back up on a bike and started riding and posting on Facebook. And a friend of mine reached out to me. I say a friend of mine. It's a guy I knew from college and said, hey, I see that you're riding. Why don't we hook up? He lived in Rushville. His name's Elton. And so we just started riding and I did a few things I would call event rides. I didn't know much about them at that point. They're road rides for um, some of them were chipped rides. So they would be considered races and some were just, you know, one's called the five and 50 in Rush County and you ride through five covered bridges and 50 miles. So we did a few of those, but even then I was just riding as a hobby. It was something fun to do. And really just a way to try to get in shape, but wasn't really putting in much effort to get in shape. I've spent most of my life working construction, and that was the extent of my exercise. I spent all of my adult life overweight. And then, I don't know if you heard, but in 2020, something crazy happened and like the whole world shut down. And I decided, like every year, I'm going to get in shape. And like every year, I failed continued to ride some, but it still wasn't on a routine basis. And then 2021, start of the year, new commitment, started losing weight. And then we had two boys dropped off on our doorstep. We weren't foster parents, but overnight we became foster parents. And so by mid 2021, I'm back to my normal weight again. And I honestly don't know what changed other than the fact that I knew I had a, I had to go climb a mountain in Colorado. I didn't have to, a friend of mine invited me to climb a mountain. And so I decided I need to probably be in the best shape of my life to climb Mount Elbert, the tallest mountain in Colorado. So I started riding on a pretty regular basis and I stuck with a diet and I actually lost by that January, 40, 50 pounds. 
and went on a one-week cruise and gained 10 pounds and realized I've got to change my life. I can't lose weight and then go back to what I was doing because I'm going to gain all that weight right back. And so I needed to find something. I needed to find everything. I was grasping for anything to just work hard. And uh, I found something called 75 Heart. It's a pretty crazy um, workout program. Started doing that and started riding a lot. Before, I always had the excuse of, well, the weather's not the best. It's windy. It's not very warm. All those were great reasons to not ride. And I, I'm not one to ride an indoor trainer. So I just, I, I got rid of all those excuses and just started riding. And at that same time that all this is going on, a couple of friends of mine are working on building and selling gravel bikes. And so they offered to let me ride one for a gravel bike race. And here I am, 2022, I don't know, early spring. And I'm up in Michigan. I'm hopping on a gravel bike that's not my own. And I'm racing for 30 miles, 48 years old. And my first gravel race and the first race of what I consider my career in racing. It's afforded me meeting a lot of great people and doing a lot of great things. And, and it's brought me here today. Matt Tanner, I guess a lot like Phil, I, I started riding bikes, obviously, as a kid. That's what we did in the 70s and 80s. Rode all over town, places my parents didn't know where I was going and probably got in a lot of trouble. But BMX was really big back then, and that was, you know, what we did. And once I turned 16 and got a car or got a license to drive a car, you know, I, I didn't ride the bike till I went to college. Went to Purdue University, and up there, the buildings are spread out. It's a pretty big campus, and everybody was getting into mountain biking. That was like the new thing in the early 90s. Got myself a mountain bike, rode all over campus to classes, and then actually started riding with the Purdue Cycling Club on my mountain bike while they were on road bikes. You know, it was pretty humbling. Got me into being a little more competitive, graduated, got a real job in the real world and kind of shelved the bike for, I don't know, four or five years probably. And then around 2000, I started getting back into to riding and had a road bike and was riding it. It was, it was a very old road bike, kind of like Phil's story and decided to start racing and jumped into crit racing and did that for a number of years. and kind of felt like I was I was getting old and tired of crashing. Decided to switch mode and go into time trial racing and did that for a number of years. Then I did some ultra distance racing for a couple of years. And now it's pretty much, you know, I'm focused on <clears throat> kind of like what Phil talked about, you know, more events where it may not be a categorized race, but maybe it's a Grand Fondo or some kind of an event or the other thing we're heavily into now that's obviously very popular is, is gravel riding. So that's kind of the the quick version of how I got into riding. Do you two remember the first time you met? I do. I know it was a race in Michigan. I don't remember if it was Cedar Blitz or the Filthy 50 or Dirty 30, which it was one of those two. We um, were both in the Dirty 30 together. Yeah. I yeah, was talking talk to you much on that one. You were focused. <laughs> Yeah, I was quite focused on the race. I was representing the same company, STS Bikes, that Phil's an ambassador for. I had my race face on at that event for sure. But my wife was there, I think, with our dog. She was in the parking lot at the finish and was talking to Phil's wife and then Phil also. And, and they, they had like a really good conversation. My wife told me about it in the car and told me some of Phil's story of his weight loss and just some amazing things. So I was like, I got to figure out who this guy is. And spend some time with him so yeah yeah to, to tell you the difference uh, between us i finished the race and i was stoked i was just i was happy i finished a gravel bike race I, I went down my first big hill on a gravel bike i didn't realize how much different gravel is from road and so i'm pedaling as hard as i can down this hill and i look down at my bike computer and it says 40 miles an hour and i realized I'm kind of just floating on this gravel at this point, and I can't touch the brakes. I can't pedal anymore, so I'm just straight line drifting down. So I, I'm i just happy that I made it through the race and didn't crash. Matt, on the other hand, he podiumed for his age range, but he didn't podium for the overall event, and he wasn't very happy. <laughs> um, you could see it in his face that he wanted his goal 
his goals were different than mine. Mine was to complete the race, and he was racing. So there's two different groups in any of those events. You've got the people who are fighting for the podium and the people who are fighting to the finish line. And I'm in one of those groups. I'm not going to tell you which. And he's in the other. So let's get into gravel racing then, since we're talking about it. What do you love about it so much? And do you feel the spirit of gravel? For me, it, it, you know, it, honestly, it reminds me a lot. And I was kind of a holdout because I was like, oh, I want to be on the road because I, mean, I love riding on the road and, and going fast. You know, if we're not if we're not pushing 30 miles an hour, then to me, it doesn't feel like, you know, we're, we're going hard. I got talked into doing a couple gravel rides with some guys and in our club roll fast and you know, it was fun. It was just like, it reminded me of being a kid when we'd go explore. A little bit of when I used to mountain bike, you know, you're kind of doing a section and maybe take a break and regroup and chit chat. And for me, it was kind of like the mental fitness side of it was really evident. And in the bonding with the, you know, the, the guys that I first went out with was stronger and, and, and it built that relationship. So, you know, I, I saw value in that. And then once I got into the racing, I was like, oh, okay. So it's pretty much like road racing on a lot of these events, except that, you know, that the surface is, it, it kind of moves under your bike. So, you know, it just, it takes a little bit extra, you know, extra skills to, to be at the high end of that sport. So, you know, I got sucked in, connected with STS bikes and, and that just kind of amplified everything. And, and last year, my, my race schedule was pretty heavily filled with with gravel events i i was able to go to iceland and do the rift a couple of other like really cool races that had been you know um you know things i've wanted to do for a couple of years now so yeah and as for me i didn't even know gravel racing was a thing uh, until about a year ago i mean growing up we would hit county roads and we ride through long you know gravel driveways but it was never looking for gravel it was just part of the surface and you were on whatever bike you were on but then once i heard about this gravel riding jumped in on that first race at the dirty 30 i thought this reminds me of what it felt like to ride when i was a kid it just it was fun the community was so welcoming i mean i was so nervous before that first race i thought i had stayed close enough to the event and then when i got up in the morning i found out i was over an hour away i like to be prepared and i have certain things i like to do and you know ride the first part of the track the last part of the i couldn't do any of that i showed up and i am i'm a mess but by the end of that ride there were so many people just being helpful you know just learning a lot just in that first race but like he said uh, scs asked me to step in and be an ambassador for him and i had them build me a bike and I like that gravel bike so much. I got rid of my road bike and I just got a road set of wheels for this bike and put them on really other than my mountain bike. It's the only bike I, I ride now. Living in Shelby County, I am afforded zero gravel roads in my county. So I have to travel a little bit to do some gravel riding. But I've been able to meet up with a lot of people and do just short gravel rides. And last year, I the biggest gravel ride I did was the... Uh, Dust Bowl 100, which is here in Indiana. It's a 100-mile gravel bike ride. It's by far my favorite event of the year. But just being able to ride in an area that's not closed course, low traffic, increased dogs, which I'll talk more about that in a bit. But you do definitely have more dogs running loose. But it's just a more peaceful type of racing, really just you and your bike racing down some pretty sketchy roads. It's fun. Can you talk about STS bikes? Where are they based out of? What kind of bicycles do they do? What's so great about their gravel bikes? The guys in STS are based out of Rushville, Indiana, which is just a little bit east of Indianapolis. They're just awesome people. You know, it's kind of a small town. My wife and I joke when we go there how slow everything moves in small towns. And, you know, even even the traffic, you're ready to pass somebody you know you shouldn't but the people there are just really really good people and fun to work with the cool thing about sts is they've committed themselves to making steel gravel bikes which you know a lot of people have misconceptions about the the qualities of steel they think it's going to be super heavy you know they they think it's an old you know material that's that's not worth using anymore because everybody uses carbon but 
the ride qualities of their bikes are it's it's very responsive and the geometry that we've created together on one of their race bikes called the gravel killer is is quite aggressive so you put that together with steel and the steel will help sort of absorb some of the the vibrations of the gravel and then the durability of steel obviously you're not going to crack a tube if you crash your bike or a rock hits it so we've seen actually just last week one of the guys that worked with sts was in i believe vermont and he rented a gravel bike for the weekend when he went to pick it up he thought something isn't right he took it out riding and the seat tube was actually cracked he took it back to the the bike shop and they couldn't see the crack but when they put it in the stand they could see it when they moved the bike around so he's actually throwing a pitch at them they're gonna i think get potentially be a, a shop that's going to carry sts steel gravel bikes now really good people they'll build the bike the way you want it you know you can change up paint colors you can build it to spec to however you want really nice craftsmanship and, and just a really really good product so that's kind of my take on the business well for me we, we ride a different bike i i have been fortunate enough to ride gravel killer i rode it on a my last gravel race of the year, um, the Harvest 50, they let me borrow one of their gravel killers. It is a race bike. Like it has the geometry. You are leaning pretty far forward. And my bike, however, is the adventure. And it is more of an upright bike. It's more of a bike packing bike, really. I call it my go anywhere, do anything bike. And when I have my road set of wheels on it, it weighed the exact same amount as my road bike that I had that I just got rid of, which was an aluminum Trek. It, they weighed the same. So to give you an idea, I mean, you're talking 20 pounds. That's one of their heavier bikes. For me, the big thing is back in 2000, I shattered my elbow. Like, I mean, I fell off the back of a truck unloading a big whirlpool tub, fell onto a gravel drive with number two rocks, which are just giant rocks. And it's the rock was harder than my elbow and it just splintered it. And so there has yet to be any kind of aluminum or carbon fiber bike that I've been able to ride where five miles in my arm goes numb. Like I have to just, you know, I see people all the time. They're shaking their hands out they're You know, the vibration and stuff has just caused so much. And I get none of that from the steel bike. I can ride a hundred miles with no, numbness in my arm and i mean for me that's that's a win right there but the comfort of that bike is for the adventure for me it's just they set it up perfect it's not as aggressive you know i'm not leaning far forward like matt is just a bike i can go fast on for a long distance and be comfortable and as to the can it take a crash well a few weeks back back in a late January, I decided last year that every month I was going to ride a century ride this year, which for people who ride all the time, that doesn't seem like much. But for me, that was going to be a, a pretty stout goal. And so it's January 28th. I leave my house. I ride 37 miles to meet up with a couple of uh, roll fast guys. And then we're going to ride some gravel and I do the 37 miles. No problem. We start hitting some gravel roads and some dogs decided they wanted to r run alongside us. And I have a habit, I'm probably going to break this habit now. I have the habit of, I know that some of the people I ride with are a little bit timid around dogs. So I just, I naturally will get in between dogs and the other cyclists because I'm not afraid of dogs. Typically dogs just want to run and it doesn't bother me. But these five dogs decided to start nipping at my shoes. And I decided, okay, I need to pick up the pace and just get away from these dogs. Well, at 18 miles an hour, one of those dogs got in front of my front tire and clipped it. I went flying through the air, landed on my shoulder, you know, just over, well, you got to figure, just over three weeks, my bones broke right here. My thumb is broke. So basically I had a broken scapula. Um, I've tore some muscles in my left forearm. My right thumb is broke and dislocated. That bike took a hard crash. I had to adjust the seat and I had to adjust the handlebars. And that bike is solid as can be. 
no worries about any damage to that frame. It's just a solid piece of equipment. I, I had to ride it eight more miles after that just to get back to the vehicle before they could drive me home. The bike is a solid piece of equipment, and I can't I can't think of another bike that I'd be riding. So you mentioned Roll Fast, Matt. You started Roll Fast, right? Mm-hmm, correct. Can you talk about it, the development yeah. of it, and how it's grown through the years? So I graduated college in '96 and went into the workforce as a web developer designer and it was kind of the wild wild west of the internet and it was fun and i you know i was working in indianapolis with every i built every cool website in town is what i used to say you know i did work for the indiana pacers and the colts and we built like the first website you know one of the first websites in the nba and we built auction sites and before there was ebay and we were you know i mean it was it was just cool 15 years later, it wasn't so cool. Like everybody was, you know, every kid could make a a website with Wix or whatever. And I was burned out and met my wife and she kind of encouraged me to just quit, you know, find something that I loved. You know, what I loved was riding my bike and I knew I wasn't going to be a professional cyclist at that age. And, you know, that was going to be a tricky way to try to find some kind of revenue. But I quit my job. And it was kind of a big deal for me, kind of a huge leap of faith of like, well, I'll just figure something out and continued doing design work and started playing around with, you know, creating cycling inspired designs. And then they kind of turned into T-shirts. And then I was like, well, I should put together a little website to try to sell these. And that was the very first piece of Rollfast. It was just an online T-shirt shop. And we sold, you know, about six shirts, I think, total. It was, you know, it was fun, but not not really a business that was going to, you know, be a, a source of income. Along that same time, I had another company that I had started called Wheel Tags. Again, it was like graphic elements that you would actually use as stickers on your deep dish uh, arrow wheels. And we kind of folded that up and we had a race team with that. When we folded the company up, the race team went away, too. There was about 25 or so guys on the team and they were all like, you know, well, you know, who are we going to, who are we going to ride, who are we going to race with now? And I was like, well, you know, I'm starting this thing called Roll Fast. It sounds like kind of a cool name for a club or a, a team. And I was like, let's just start a bike club under that brand. And so we did that. That kind of took off as what Roll Fast was moving forward. The club grew. We over the years, we added a lot of people. There's about 120 people in the club now around the country. In creating that, I, I felt led to make it have some kind of purpose other than just, you know, guys riding bikes. My wife's first husband died by suicide. So for me, the the mental health piece of especially what men go through and entrepreneurial men is not really addressed. And so we kind of stuck our stake in the ground as that was going to be our cause fast forward 11 years really what roll fast is all about is you know we call it mental fitness and you know working on your physical fitness but also taking care of your brain and your mental attitude with with other people so at the end of the day we're all kinds of different cyclists from you know guys that have raced you know professional races to guys that just started literally just started riding last year but our club accepts everybody and we don't have a a requirement for like how many events you have to go to or anything like that. It's it's really about can you come and connect online in our private forum and be somebody that the other people in the group can lean on. And and to me that's like been more rewarding than you know any race I've ever done or event I've put on and anything like that. So that's kind of where the club is today. And I guess to to just kind of finish out the Roll Fast history. We we created an event in 2014 called the Roll Fast Grand Fondo. It was a hundred mile Fondo in Indiana. And it was kind of inspired because my wife, Chris, bought me a super awesome gift to go to the Hincapie Grand Fondo in 2013 as a, a platinum guest, which meant basically I got like helicopter ride from the airport, we were the first ones to stay in the Hotel Domestique, which was just opening. And I spent a week riding with George and Cappy and Kristen Vanderbilt and a bunch of the the pros that were going to be in town. We were just treated like, you know, like royalty. And at that event, I became really close with Rich and Cappy. 
uh, George's brother who runs Hincapie Sportswear, but also with George and some of the other guys and had a great, a great time at the event. A bunch of the Roll Fast guys came out and did the event with us. So we had like 15 people in the, in the race, just a really, really good experience. And we came home and I told my wife, I was like, man, it kind of sucks that we don't have that in Indiana. And she's like, well, why, you know, why don't we? And I was like, well, you know, who wants to drive or fly or travel to Indiana to do a, you know, a ride in the corn? And, you know, it's, it's pretty boring scenery if, you know, if you're from here, you may love it, but nobody, nobody comes here. There's no mountains, there's no ocean, there's, you know, there's no views to see. So she's like, do it anyway. Like, who cares? Let's just do it. So 2014, we put on the first event. It, it was a huge learning experience. I always thank Rich and Cappy because he put on events for years before I did and gave me a lot of knowledge and how to put on events successfully. And um, year after year, we kind of grew a little bit by little bit. Sort of marketing spin that we put on it was it was the world's fastest Grand Fondo. So we created a goal for riders to finish the 100 miles in under four hours. If you completed that, you actually got a finisher belt buckle that was a, we call it the sub four challenge. And so, and I don't know how many of these buckles I've given out, but it's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people have done their fastest ever century, you know. I think in 2019 was the last year we held the event. I think the finish, the first finisher's time was like three hours and 38 minutes or something like that. So, you know, 27 or 28 miles an hour for 100 miles. It, it was cool. We, we got picked up by some European coverage and we became a part of the Grand Fondo World Tour. And in 2019, it was the Grand Fondo World Tour World Championship event. So really a ton of work, but I think, you know, it really was something that a lot of people enjoyed and I learned a lot from, and, and it was something, you know, it took all year to plan for it and to put it together, but it was always a, a really fun time. And 2019, it just felt like it was time to move on and, and do new things. And so we had that event and it was, it was awesome. It was probably our best event. You know, I decided to, to hang up the, the Fondo promoter badge. And sure as can be 2020 happens and there's a pandemic and I'm talking to Rich Hincapi and he's like, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, I don't know if we should have the event or not. And I don't know how long, how many months this is going to go. You know, it's just a couple of weeks to flatten the curve or whatever they were saying. And that whole year was just high stress for every event promoter and giving refunds back. Or that's really when deferrals became a really popular thing to do and, you know, kick it down to next year. And it, I mean, it's just, it's amazing that, events are still surviving after that year. It's so much cash and, and money and effort gets put into the event before the event day with, you know, buying finisher medals that have a date on them or t-shirts or banners or sponsors. And it's a really, really tough time, but somehow somebody was looking out for me and I dodged the bullet with, you know, calling it quits in 2019. And we took 2020 was our year that we decided to refocus again back on the club and, really do a hard push on the mental fitness aspect of roll fast so that was fortunate for a lot of reasons and i still get every year people ask me you know is the fondo coming back this year and i'm like no it wasn't 2020 didn't wipe it out we we decided it was time to move on and everybody wants me to bring the fondo back but for now it's it's full force on the the club mental fitness and then a few other ventures that i'm working on Phil, what's your uh, your thoughts on Rollfest? I mean, you mentioned it in the event that they've uh, put on. It's a great group of guys. And I wasn't looking to join any cycling club, racing club. I, Once again, I, yeah, I was just looking to race races and just do my own thing. And just in getting to know Matt and to know some of the guys he was hanging out with that were Rollfest community. And then talking to a couple guys and finding out that it's not just racing. It's about mental fitness. I grew up atheist um, is the best way to put it. I grew up atheist and depressed. I think those things often go hand in hand. I spent a lot of years finding reasons not to end my life on any given day. You know, now I'm not only saved, I'm a pastor besides working construction. It's, it's not the path I thought I was going to find myself in, but I didn't think I'd find myself racing gravel bikes either. But mental health has always been important. Uh, something I have to work at. It doesn't come easy for me. I am 
mentally in much better place than I was for much of my adult life, but I still have hard days. And to know that there was a cycling club out there who who cares about the mental aspect, I thought, well, heck, I might as well give it a try. They have more than lived up to being. I've been able to share on on our you know group chats um, when I'm struggling. It's a group of people really wanting the best for everything. And even when I crashed a few weeks back, you know, I I posted out there, got feedback from so many people who have crashed themselves and who have been injured and know that it's just, it's not over. It's just a delay for things. I was so excited to be doing the Mid-South Classic down in Oklahoma. And now I'm not doing that this year. And so, you know, there's some down days and, Having a community of people who not only understand the mental aspect, but understand the mental aspect of riding and racing and the ups and downs of all that. Just being able to lift one another up. Matt even called me as he's sitting in an airport getting ready to go to Arizona just to see how I was doing once he heard about it. The Roll Fast guys were with me when I crashed and I couldn't, you know, at the time I didn't even know my shoulder was broken. And one of the guys loaded the bike up for me. And you know, the other guy buckled me in and drove me home. And I just don't know where I would be at without that community. I would say that I am blessed beyond measure just to be a part of a group of people who who genuinely care more than just about, hey, how did you finish? You know, where did you place? But how are you doing? Are you doing well? Is there anything we can do to help? It's really a community of people caring about one on and off the bike. Matt, is that originally how the rule fast was planned when you started doing that? Or has it evolved into something like what Philip was just saying that you never expected? Yeah, no. I mean, for us, it's it's totally evolved. Like I said earlier, when we started it, it was a bunch of guys that race quite competitively. And we were looking for a new a new, you know, jersey to wear. You know, we were kind of known around the Indianapolis area as, as the really fast, you know, group. When we'd show up at group rides, people would be like, oh, now here comes Roll Fast. And we were out to really, you know, stick it to people on group rides and at races. And, you know, a few years later, I just felt like there, there's got to be more to what what I could do or what we can do for our community than just, you know, going out and flexing and showing everybody who's really strong. And that's when I decided, you know, let's let's open this club up to anybody that wants to join. And, you know, a few of the guys were like, I, that's not why I'm here. And, and they've moved on to other teams. And that's that's great, too. I always, you know, tell people we have a Saturday ride and it's it's a no drop ride. We do some group activities in it that are going to make people better cyclists. Definitely everybody's going to get a bit of their fitness challenge during those rides. But it's also after we do our activity, it's it's everybody's riding home together, no matter how slow it is. And, you know, I always tell people like there's, there's, you know, so many group rides you can go do on the weekends, especially that, you know, if that's not why you're here, then, you know, there's, you're so lucky there's other options for you to go do the, the hammer ride where you just go for 45 minutes and kill each other. And then, you know, ride home by yourself. Like, you know, that, that's, that options everywhere. So what we're providing is kind of, a different spin on cycling and and building the relationships and taking care of each other and and teaching each other teaching the people that haven't been riding as long you know things that we've taken you know it's taken me 25 years to learn and just really trying to advance people on the bike and off the bike you've mentioned about riding in indiana what do you well obviously you guys both live there what's so great about being a well being a cyclist in indiana where I live and where Matt lives, it's pretty flat. There's not a lot of hills, but you can go down to Southern Indiana and um, you don't have to go very far south and you can, you can ride through some hills of Brown County. And so Matt and I were even in on a race this last year called the Cars Crusher. And in that one race, it kind of encapsulated what you can find in Indiana. I mean, there was some road, there was some gravel and on our gravel bikes, we were riding through the middle of the woods on some single track mountain bike trail. On my day to day, when I go out and ride, I'm riding. I live out in the country. I live out. So there's fields all around me, which means that on a day that it's real windy, I can pretend I'm a tanner for, for about three or four miles that the wind is at my back at 30 miles an hour. 
And I said, I'm cruising at 30. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is great. And then I have to turn around and face that wind and pretend I'm four years old and I'm doing five miles an hour on the way home. For me, it's just, if you're just going out to just ride, just to enjoy being outside, man, I I hate the cold. I hate winter. And I know living in Indiana, you just got to deal with it. But I have learned to, I mean, I can't now because my arms, but I was out there every day riding my bike. Snow, rain, 20 degrees, 30, 40 mile an hour winds. It's just nice to be outside and on this flat, open ground. You can put some miles in enjoy the sun. You're not shaded by, you know, a bunch of trees. You're not shaded by the city. You're just out there riding and then just, I live between two rivers. And so, you know, I ride often right up alongside rivers and it's just windy roads. And then you get some straight sections. It's very easy to log in a hundred miles without going to a city. I find that very enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, I would just pile on what Phil said. I mean, there's on the north side of Indianapolis where I live, Carmel, it's, it, we're in a pretty cool city because there's, I think there's only two stoplights left in the whole town. It's, it's all been converted to roundabouts. So as a cyclist, it's really cool because really you never stop riding through town. You, you don't have to stop. But once you get north of more out in the country, the Hamilton County, the county we live in, the roads are all really, really well maintained. I mean, the pavement's amazing for road riding i would say the gravel roads are like really really well maintained too and it kind of sucks because the the gravel's really deep so if i want to ride gravel i usually drive down to southern indiana where where phil was talking about where it's it's more um less traveled and, and a little bit harder packed and different kind of gravel but yeah phil's right i mean you go down south it's it's actually quite hilly i mean you're getting close to like the appalachian trail kind of area not quite but it, it that topography is starting to begin i guess one other thing about roll fast in april we uh april 16th we put on a, a race or an event down there called the the roll fast eight by eight challenge which is eight laps in brown county state park when you think indiana's flat you could do that event and if you complete eight laps it's going to be 96 miles and about eight thousand feet of elevation so it's it's you're either going up or down in that park and it's it's not very flat so we got a little bit of everything for sure. When I first started talking to you guys, I couldn't help but talk to Matt about his new, if you want to call it venture of mm-hmm. straight super fuel. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I'd love to. So I guess the, 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 the quick version of the story is, you know, I, I've been racing for 20 plus years and 2018 and 19, my fitness was really, really good. And I was training both years for a six hour time trial race. It's the the six hour time trial world championship. And it's held in Borrego Springs, California, which is near San Diego, but it's, it's like, it's like riding on the moon. I mean, it's like, I think the first in 2018, I did, I think it was 120 degrees or something like that. So super hot and you're on a TT bike and they have 12 hour and 24 hour versions too. If you're really mind warped but I, I chose to do the six hour races fueling for that duration on a tt bike going you know tt speeds of you know 26 27 miles an hour is is challenging and it's it's a looped course so you have a chance to go into the pits and grab food but you know eating on a tt bike and getting food out of a pocket on a tt bike when you're trying to be super aero and and you know wear a skin suit is really challenging so I started exploring like different liquid nutrition options and you know there's there's options like Morton and and a few others and and that was kind of cutting edge in in 2018 and tried it had I guess limited success with it but I thought man there's got to be a a better way to get calories in in a liquid form and my wife has been doing I'll call it biohacking because that's becoming a mainstream term. Everybody knows what it is, but she's been doing tons of analysis on, you know, everything from my blood work to all of my nutrition and everything for, for 10 years now. She had started her own business and developed a drink for women that were finding challenges going through menopause and created this drink that's actually an amazing multivitamin drink for anybody that's 
got any ailments. And she started helping me formulate what today is now straight super fuel. We worked with prototypes probably 2020 was after the, the 2019 time trial championship. Kept refining it. I gave it to a few guys that I coach. They're they're middle-aged men. And one of them was like, I don't know what's in this stuff, but he's like, you, you've got to make this uh, a product. This is like rocket fuel. And his name's Paul. And I was like, Paul, like, you know, we've, we've created a, a supplement brand and with my wife's business. And it's, it's, it's not that easy to like, just, you know, make a bag of this powder and start selling it. And he's like, I don't care. He's like, you got to figure it out. You got to figure it out. And he's an entrepreneur and owns about five or six companies. And, you know, he's just a really positive guy for like telling you, you can do anything you put your mind to. So we worked on prototypes and flavoring for a while. And we finally got it to where I thought it performed really, really well, tasted good, didn't have any of the things that that I don't believe in. I mean, I guess, you know, to to expand just a little bit, I, I'm very firm about the, the nutrients and the quality of food that I put in my body. And, you know, I avoid all sugars. And the more we study, the more we learn that inflammation is like the primary cause of all diseases. And typically a lot of that inflammation is triggered by sugars that are in you know, every cycling product on the market. So our super fuel for me had to be something different. And my wife said, you know, let's, let's try putting creatine in it. Cause I just read this study that if you take creatine with carbohydrate, it actually stores more carbohydrates in your muscle. So we, you know, we played with that in the formula, she pulled out some other showstopper supplements that, that people aren't familiar with, like inositol and glycine and trace minerals and you know, we're mixing all this stuff up in our kitchen and, and then we're working with the lab on the prototypes. And like I said, Paul's like, I don't know what you put in this. This stuff's amazing. Like you got to package this up and sell it. So it took over a year with the prototyping and getting FDA approval in our lab and, and all of the stuff that has to happen to bring a, a supplement to the, to the marketplace about, I think it was August August last year, we we launched and got our product in and started selling it. And we've been going to a couple of races around that are local or regional. People love it. It's super unique. It's a it's pina colada flavor. You know, we we wanted to stand out and not do lemon lime like every other drink in the in the marketplace. So we we kind of did our own little spin with the pina colada flavoring and it's like liquid gold man it's people that people that try it they they want more of it and it performs really well doesn't cause any inflammation and you know checks off all the boxes on everything that that i would want to have in a fuel source that you know i can control because i've i've gone through nutritional stuff for years and a lot of them i think was too sugar rich that a lot of products I couldn't take until halfway through a ride because then I was actually sweating and the sugar wasn't, you know, messing with my, my stomach and stuff. People who have, who follow me on Instagram know I, I like to promote anything that I like. I'm only an ambassador for STS. I try not to be an ambassador for anything else so that when people hear me talk about something, it's something I believe in and, and I truly like. For me, I think I'm a lot like you, Alan. I would drink things like Gatorade and Powerade and those type of things because Growing up, you hear that that is the sports drink, right? So that's what I'd fill my water bottles with. Man, if you do a 100-mile bike ride and you're drinking Gatorade all day, man, I just got bloated and I just it got sluggish. It was just all that sugar was just, it was, it was tearing me up. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to just straight water and trying to consume calories, you know, through actual bars and things but even those have just so much sugar and i do eat sugar i'm not the health nut that matt and chris are but i know even for someone like me i try to get peak performance before in during a race you know i i, I watch what i eat for two or three days before a race you know clean um clean for me is going to be different than matt and his wife i'm sure but you know i'm eating a lot of meat and rice just trying to not eat processed foods but then going into the race, drinking a bunch of Gatorade or Powerade, it was just, I would hit a wall. You know, I just, it would start just getting sluggish. So he introduced this and 
some people like the taste of pina colada. Some people may not like it. I love the taste of pina colada, and I can tell you it tastes like pina colada. Like, I feel like I should be sitting on a beach just sitting back, sipping on this stuff. It tastes, you would think it has sugar in it. I mean, you really would think it has a lot of sugar. It has a, a great taste. So taste alone, I would drink it. But I noticed that I was having more energy than I was having with anything else that I was drinking, anything else I was eating. And so I'm using, you know, the stuff I am riding 100 miles. And at the end of 100 miles, feeling like I could go another 100 miles. Like it, there's no crash at the end. There's no, oh, and, you know, it, 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 it's, it's wore out of my system and now I'm just so depleted. No, it's, it's not that at all. And maybe you can take too much of it, but I have never hit that. I have drank it. I have done rides where that's the only thing in my body. Didn't get jittery. I know sometimes you drink so much of that stuff and you just... You can just feel your mind racing and you just, you feel a little bit on edge. There's none of that. It's the thing that if I'm going to do a serious race, you know, I don't, you know, when I'm out just riding around my neighborhood, I'm doing, you know, 10 to 15 miles. I probably don't put it in. I sometimes don't even take a water bottle because for me, I'm going to be back home before I would even take a drink. But if I'm going out and it's a race or if I'm doing, you know, serious miles, it's what I put in my bottle. I've tried a lot of different things. There's, you know, and I didn't even know about a lot of these supplements, but you go to these races and they give you these little bags and they've got all these different mixes that you can put in your bottles. And, you know, I would put them in. It may have given me energy for a bit, but then the crash would happen. And the thing with this is even once it's out of your system, you're not drained. You you haven't been depleted of something filled in some gaps where you needed them and then when it's gone you're just back to you but to me it's even for average racers who are just you know trying to get in the top half of a field and that's really my goal um, is to get in the top half of the field something like straight super fuel is what gets me able to do that without the ups and downs without the the jitteriness and then the crashes it really is, I call it magic, but I'm sure that there is some scientific formula that they've got figured out. But to me, it's just magic. Yeah, because the only thing I've ever been able to take and not get sick of was EFS. And even sometimes with that, it feels like the taste just lingers in your mouth and you eventually get tired of it. So I don't know how straight it is compared to that. Yeah, my mouth has never run dry. I guess if you don't like the taste of pina colada it will probably burn out I'm, I'm one of those people that like i could make a turkey sandwich for lunch and eat a turkey sandwich for five years and like i don't get tired of stuff i don't notice a, a long aftertaste of drinking that stuff remember if i'm doing like 40 50 mile range i'll have two water bottles one will be water one will be straight super fuel if i grab the water it's not like i have that weird taste that some of that stuff has like oh i still have some, it, it's gone and so it's just it tastes like water but i have tried a few of those things where it's like i don't like that taste and i can't get it out of my mouth now you know i'm, I'm burned out on this and you drink water and you're still tasting the product that you had i've not noticed that but i can tell you matt's drink a lot more of this stuff than i have i guess my testimonial real quick is this summer i raced the rift in iceland and it was 135 miles and i finished in about eight hours i drank eight bottles of straight super fuel on, on during the race obviously the flavor is something i like but you know i, I don't like what phil said I, I didn't feel like at the end that like oh man i gotta drink this again at all and then the other thing i would say is a lot of people when I tell them about the product, they're like, oh, I don't like pina colada at all. And I'm like, well, you know, just just try it. And we offer a 60-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't like the taste, just let us know. We'll refund you the money and, you know, give it to a friend or ship it back or whatever you want to do. But most people that once they try it, they, they like it, even if they're not like a huge pina colada cocktail person on the beach. You know, it's a, it's it's the name of the, the flavor. It's an all-natural flavor that we get from our lab. You know, it's it's... It's really good. So, 
let's be honest, I've done episodes that are like straight pitches for races. So I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's just, it's a part of you. So I thought, why not mention it? Because I, yeah, I have so many things to sell. So I got to pick and choose when I plug them. What currently is getting you stoked on bicycles? Go ahead, man. I'll take this one first. The, I was thinking about that while we were talking. I didn't know that question was coming, but you know what? Really, at the end of the day, what excites me is seeing people happy on bikes and seeing people improve and get better. And for me, the the fulfillment I get, whether it's, you know, seeing a, a customer review on straight super fuel that they've we, we just got one today that was somebody in Seattle that found us through an event that we did here in Indiana. She's never been able to find something that didn't wreck her stomach. And, you know, it makes me feel good knowing that we're helping people achieve their goals and and ride more confidently. And if that's through a, a product I've created or an event I produce or, you know, a club that I'm a part of, it's at the end of the day, that's really where I get my satisfaction. Even if Phil thinks it's getting a podium at a race, but to me, it's, it's, you know, it's really the relationships and seeing other people learn and, and become better riders and just enjoy the sport and, and share that with other people. Well, for me, it's going to sound like Matt is the pastor here today. He's talking all selfless and here I am <laughs> to be pretty uh, selfish, but with two broken arms, man, I just, I'm stoked about, I'm missing out on the first two races I had for this year, but I'm stoked to to get back to the Dust Bowl 100 to, to do better this year than I did last. And I'm fortunate enough to go to Gravel Worlds this year. So even though I'm not a runner, I signed up to do the mini marathon the day before I ride 75 miles in Nebraska. And then I leave out from there to go climb some mountains in Colorado. So that'll be a week and a half of just craziness. But for me, just getting back on the bike you know, I, I like to do as many crazy fun things as i can think of that keep me fit but the base of all my fitness is cycling and just to be able to get back outside riding a bike on a day-to-day -day basis man that's just there, there is never a day where i've hopped on a bike it's been a bad day i mean even the day i crashed and it was a good day i was having a great day and so for me it's just it's just the best part of of being outside and living it's just being on a bike and just enjoying what god has created well gentlemen thanks for joining me today any last words oh alan keep doing what you're doing i think you know the more just like with i was saying with group rides or events or whatever the the more options there are for everybody to learn about cycling and and everything around it i think the better for everybody so kudos to you for putting together a show i know it's not easy work. Appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, likewise. I just uh, I can't thank you enough for inviting us to be a part of this, and I just enjoy listening to each episode and uh, looking forward to uh, to many more. So keep it up, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Stoked on Spokes podcast. If you enjoyed it, please like, subscribe, rate us, and tell your friends about it. Check out our Patreon page where you can get a lot more bonus content, all full unedited videos all after banter where things get crazy sometimes and early previews for the next episode. It's all available for only $3 a month and follow our Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on all the things we are working on until next time. Just keep rolling.